0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and with me are my two wonderful co-hosts. I'm Huai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in DC.
1: And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the DC area.
2: So today we're gonna to be doing our monthly Millennial Movie Review and we are going to be doing a special, very special movie that all three of us have been looking forward to in a while, though it has received a f- a, some mixed reactions, and we're going to be diving into that as well. A Wrinkle in Time. So A Wrinkle in Time is directed by Ava DuVernay, and it's based off the book by Madeline Langle. It stars Sorum Reed, Oprah Winfrey, Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Chris Pine, Levi Miller, Derek McCabe, and Gugu Mbathu-Raw. And it's about a young girl named Meg Murray, who, after the disappearance of her scientist father, three peculiar beings approach her and her brother and friend and bring them to space in order to find him. So... Let's dive into this movie. We've been talking about it for quite a while now because, um, you know, Anya and I have been quite excited for it because we were huge fans of the books growing, of book growing up, or rather books because it's a series. Um, let's get our initial reactions. Anya, I'm really excited to hear what you have to think about A Wrinkle in Time.
0: Yes. So I will start off by saying I am less attached to the book than I think you are, HT. I've only read it a couple times, and I haven't read it for... A handful of years so i i don't remember a lot of the details and i'm not like like really attached to it so i think that's important to note um a wrinkle in time i was been very excited for this movie because of who's involved and the story was telling and i know you know how earnest ava duvernay was with this film um but it ended up impacting me a lot more than i thought it would to the point where I can't really be critical of this film. Like, I can't really step back from it because it hit me in such a personal way, in such, like, a profound, deep way that, like, I can't really, like, extricate itself from me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, it's become, like, part of me. Um, And so, like, being critical of this film is very weird for me. I can, like, note its flaws, but those flaws to me don't really matter because its impact was so much more. Um, If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I love this film. Um, I'm really excited to talk about why it had such an, a big effect on me. Um, and as for the reviews that you mentioned, I think it's really important to note the gender divide mm-hmm. in the reviews for this film. Like if you look on Rotten Tomatoes and you do a gender divide, it's very telling that most of the negative reviews come from men. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really unfortunate for a lot of reasons. Um, And I don't think this movie deserves nearly as much negative criticism as it's receiving. It's not perfect, but I think it's a lot more than what people are making it out to be. Yeah.
2: It's sad that there was so much writing on this film because it was seen as sort of the follow-up to Black Panther in terms of like... Uh, minorities on screen and behind the camera can be a big box office uh, powerhouse as well. And that was the case for Black Panther, but it wasn't quite the case uh, for Wrinkle of Time, which did it's do really like well a the time box time office. not like Time bombed. Yeah, like, it didn't it bomb. It was second to the box office after Black Panther, although it was really frustrating to me that a lot of outlets were writing it up as a failure because of that.
0: So and frustrating.
2: It, it was critically divisive. And I will say I'm, I'm kind of on in the middle part of that I really admired what A Wrinkle in Time was trying to do but the the first two-thirds of the movie and like the structural sort of setup of the film and the plot really didn't work for me and I liked but I I really liked what they did in the last third like the last 40 minutes of the movie I really I saw the potential of what this movie could have been and what Ava DuVernay was trying to do with it it was actually really fascinating to me how Ava DuVernay took this book, that is a heavily religious allegory. It's mm-hmm. even more so in the way that, like, Chronicles of Narnia was. Chronicles yeah. of Narnia is like a very overt Jesus metaphor, and um, in A Wrinkle in Time, it kind of takes this idea of um, of God and of, of God being like sort of like this force, this overarching force for good, and the its being sort of the satanic devil. Sort of stand in.
0: It's very allegorical and very, it's very, it's pretty explicit in the book. It's very
2: explicit. And it's fascinating to me that she stripped away any sort of religious underpinnings of the story and turned it into a story about self worth. And that was such a fascinating twist for me. And I really liked how she did that. I don't think that it completely landed because it only felt like it was introduced. Really midway through the movie for me, and I felt like it could have been more organically woven in. But I liked how she did that. I think it was sort of an ingenious way of um, of changing and of subvert- of like changing that sort of message of the book and of the story and turning it into one of self worth and also of uh, a stand-in for like a lot of um, that a lot of young black girls struggle with uh, yeah. in terms of like their own self image and their own sort of. Um, in, un, sub, like subconscious sort of in, internalized racism, so it's it was really I really like the ideas going into it. I think the the it's fundamentally flawed structure wise, but I did like I can't hate wr- *A Wrinkle in Time*. Like you said, it's just so earnest and it's believes so deeply in what it's trying to say that I can't hate it. So, Willoughby. As the one person who's going in blind to A Wrinkle in Time, but really liking the work of Ava DuVernay and all the other cast members here, what did you think about A Wrinkle in Time?
1: I thought it was fine. I liked it. Um, like UHT, I do have some issues with the structure and um, the pacing of it. Um, and, but I think that overall, like, it's a gorgeous film. I think it's one of the most visually inventive films of the past couple years, at least. Like it's, there's so much color, and when the color is drained from the screen, it's like the very end. Uh, when, you know, when she's, I, I guess, spoiler alert, facing off against darkness, it's very dark, and you can kind of tell that. Like, oh yeah, we started out like in a very bright situation, and now we're not. Um, and I really liked how she did that. How Ava Duvernay did that with her filmmaking skills. She's got so much good skills. Um, I do think that a lot of the problems in this movie. Are from the the pacing and structure issues that you were saying, HD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there were points where I was kind of wondering what the stakes were because it seems like the overarching darkness didn't really seem to be as close to Earth and and like all encompassing as I assumed it was be in the like leading up because I'd never see, I've never read the book mm-hmm. so like I i i guess i was going in thinking that it was going to be much like the darkness would be much more prevalent prevalent early on and like affecting earth but i guess that wasn't that's not how it is in the book either is it right no
2: that's the case too like mm-hmm. i remember there's a scene in the movie where it kind of shows how the it is sort of seeping into all facets of earth life and like how it affects people's uh, mind views and stuff, and like you know, it it manifests in like people's jealousy or people's mm-hmm. idea of uh, body image or anything like that. So it is, it is. I think that's where the stakes are, but it feels like the stakes are so mundane, I guess, in a way. Yeah,
1: I think maybe that's what I was. See, trying and to I figure got the out.
0: opposite. Mm. That, it was the opposite for me. Like, okay, the stakes and the danger of the it and the way it affects people. For me, again, it felt so profound and I felt so relatable that it felt very serious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it also reminded me of the Twilight Zone episode, The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, when the aliens come down and they basically, like, they don't, they don't destroy humanity, but they set up a situation where humanity destroys itself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what the it does. Is the It kind of seeps into Earth and into humanity. And, like, it isn't actively destroying humanity, but it's making it so humanity is going to destroy itself. I gotcha. See, like, I
1: think, I think, for my own sake, it wasn't super clear until that part when the it was talking about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't make the connection until the it was explicitly talking about that, and I don't know if maybe that was the point, but it seemed like a little late in the game for those days. Because, like, for the most part, the movie was about finding the dad, mm-hmm. and then once the dad was found, we kind of had this like final boss level, and I was kind of wondering. Like, I really love the the themes of, like, defeating the it with her own faults. Mm-hmm. I know we're kind of getting into territory, spoiler territory, and, like, broader themes and stuff. But I really like that idea yeah. of, like, she faced off against, like, a more, quote-unquote, perfect version of herself. And she defeated it with her own faults. And I thought that was really brilliant. But I think, to me, it, it felt not, I don't want to say tacked on, but, like, to me, I was waiting for the rescue of Chris Pine and then going home. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to me, like, the point. And then there was that extra level of, of, like, time to face off against, like, the final, final boss. And I thought that was really, you know, it was wait, it was, once she was in there, it was done interestingly. But I think that there was just, maybe to me, I was just kind of, I don't know, I didn't know what I was expecting. And it kind of jarred me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of trying to figure out what was going on with Charles Wallace <laughs> at the end. And I was like, wait a minute. He's saying some nasty things to his dad.
2: Let's use that then to uh dive into the spoiler territory of our sure. of our s- review um and go by character, plot and theme. So, I I do want to start with character and talk about the problem of Charles Wallace.
1: Is there a problem?
2: Well, my I well, he was the biggest problem I think for me in terms of mm. the movie.
1: Mostly, was he too precocious for you?
2: Well, it's it was interesting because like I remember reading the book and I re- reread it a couple of months before this movie came out and wondering oh. if they could. Successfully pull off translating him from the book to the screen. Because in the book, he is precocious and you kind of like, you kind of accept it. You're like, okay, he's precocious. He's a genius. That's whatever. But reading it, I was like, man, he's going to be so annoying on the movie screen. And he was. <laughs> and I oh, no! don't, I, I just, I think that it could have been it's helped. It's
1: the nature of the character. It's the
2: nature of the character, but I, I also think it could have been helped by a better actor. I just, I didn't think that um, Derek McCabe. Uh, as talented as he was was probably not the best uh, did not give the best performance I think as Charles Wallace. He just kind of came off as very very annoying and um, although I did I did think that he played the evil parts well when he was taken over by the It. Because I think that was really interesting but at the beginning it felt hard for me to connect with him even knowing like the character and knowing how meg felt about him and how she really cared for him it felt difficult to connect uh just because he was like that child genius i don't i feel like only a really talented child actor like jacob Tremblay could have really pulled it off and even then i think he would have walked the line um but yeah charles Wallace was interesting to me and also the change that they they did in the movie to making him adopted. What do you think about that, Anya?
0: I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I actually, I mean, I've talked before about like my love of found families and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I really like when media explores like non-traditional families, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. and the fact that they did kind of break from like a nuclear family and show that like Meg's affection for him and like his belonging in their family is just as valid as hers um and i think it made it i think it also made it easier from a storytelling perspective of like to have evil charles wallace and his relationship with his dad like there's almost more of a you can believe it more i guess a little bit because he yeah. is adopted yeah the animosity um, yeah mm-hmm. so i think i think it works on multiple levels so i didn't have a problem with that change mm-hmm. um and again i'm always here for non-traditional families
2: <laughs> exactly I think other than Charles Wallace the the characters in the rest of the movie really popped and that was Agreed. where the movie really hung together for me because like other than the visuals which were stunning like Willoughby said um the characters were where they where they are most important where you find the journeys especially with Meg so let's talk about Meg who was my favorite part of the oh, whole time she's so Storm good Storm Reed is a star she
1: she's very she has- charming
2: oh my gosh the performance she gave in the last like twenty minutes of the movie really they moved me to tears. It moved me to tears. It was just astonishing how she went through that sort of cavalcade of emotions of like joy at finding her father, uh disappointment and um just like utter grief at his at his, like, you know, wanting to go back to Earth and, like, abandon Charles Wallace. And, like, that moment when she's like, no, you can't leave him again. I, like, I started tearing up. It was amazing. Yeah, we need to
1: talk about sad dad Chris Pine and his choice to leave his son. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Chris Pine is also great in this movie. But, I I, yeah, Meg Murray is so good. And I I really like um, how they sort of, well, of course, the update of her being biracial. That was a really interesting... Sort of tie into the overall theme of the movie because, in a sense, this is Meg's movie. This is all about her and her own journey of self acceptance. I only wish that that beca- that was clearer early on because you see at the beginning of the film that you know she's suffering from her father leaving and not having with her, not having them with her, and she's troubled at at school. But you want kind of you kind of don't really get the. A, a impression that she's, you know, she acts out. Like they kind of yeah, talk about it's, it. It's like show a don't lot tell. of tell
1: and not show. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Which is good. Oh wait, no, no it's you're bad. There was tell and not show. It was tell and not show. Yeah, yeah You only oh. get they,
1: like the principal was just saying like, "Who, by the way, the dude from Moonlight? He's great. I forget his act, the name, but, but the guy. a jerk. He, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, um. But um, he was that basically like. The worst. like Sorry? Okay. That I mean, he was, was the
0: li- worst. I thought he was fine. He you was don't t- tell a girl who's mourning her father and acting out, be like, oh, what if your dad just walked in here? Like, right now, what would he say? Like, oh, you can't use your father and excuse Meg, blah, blah, blah. He has oh, no yeah, empathy. I can see that. Yeah, that's it. It's the it getting to him. It's like that part of it, because they show him mm-hmm. when he becomes rep- Anyway, but I, was, I, I was just saying like terrible. With,
1: with the show and not, with the tell and not show, it was basically him. He was listing off a bunch of things that we didn't yeah. really see her do. Mm-hmm. And so we only got the sense that she was being bullied by Girl Meets World because uh, <laughs> she, her father left for four years. Yeah. And that she has, you know, it's typical teenage stuff. Yeah. Um, Rowan Blanchard, that's her name. <laughs> <laughs> by Girl Meets World. Forgot. Yeah, that
2: was my overall problem with the sort of the first, the beginning of the film where you get introduced to her family life. But you it's all very tell and don't show. And then mm. it, it you get whists away really quickly. I wish there was a little bit more build up in seeing like how her life was and why she was acting out and how she was acting out other than one scene where she throws a ball at, Ro- at Rowan Blanchard. So... Yeah, which
1: seemed out of character from what we no so far yeah. we didn't really see her acting out before yeah if like... there was a couple more scenes that kind of expanded that yeah. and maybe did did more of her like normal life mm-hmm. before she's whisked away off you know to a life of an adventure um especially having more of a relationship with Calvin mm-hmm. before beforehand i don't know what it's like in the book but it seemed to me very quick that he just came on board yeah. um and like went with them
2: yeah, no, it is very quick. It's quick in the book, too. He just kind of shows up, and you're like, okay, you're, yeah. he's fated to just come along ahead. with us. <laughs> yeah, okay. no, I, I think the beginning was definitely too quick. Um, I wish I like the characters a lot. I wish we could stay with them a little bit at the beginning and establish who they really are before the adventure starts. And Meg especially, because, you know, it's the whole tell-don't-show thing. And at the beginning, you only get the sense that she's shy and she's bullied. But not why. Like, why do they hate her? What's the yeah. What's the reason about that? Other than like you know the it, but then that only comes in later on. So it's confusing at first. I think, especially for people who haven't read the book, like it's very confusing when you drop. You just get dropped into this situation.
0: I didn't like, someone put a thing on my locker that said "Happy Anniversary." Hope you disappear too. Yeah, I would also be throwing balls in people's faces because like. Oh no! That was a really shitty thing. I've or, never seen like a, uh, that. Was rough. that was so cruel? It was really cruel. But but, yeah, it's I,
1: just like. Wanna, oh no! I was just gonna say I really like the expansion of the prologue, which I don't believe was in the book. That wasn't of like the flashback to like when, mm-hmm. w- with a uh, baby Storm Reed and Chris Pine like doing science together, which I thought was really cute and really fun, and I really cute. appreciate like, that. It
2: also felt like a an advertisement for STEM. I was like, yeah, okay, STEM for so young girls. I'm okay with that. But, I liked it a lot, but that was kind of like my impression. But
1: yeah, I mean, it also it also it also helped inform you of like their relationship yeah. because if that if the movie began without that at all or any of the flashbacks, I feel like we wouldn't care about Chris Pine.
2: Yeah, no, I even agree. though
1: who wouldn't care about Chris Pine because it's yeah. Chris Pine. But I like those flashbacks.
2: I like those Can flashbacks, we- um, but I like my main problem is you know how the climax of the movie hinges on her, you know, using her faults as her power. We don't mm-hmm. see those faults. We only, like, we get the impression we're that told she... Yeah, we're told those faults. And I wish we saw more of, like, you know, her anger, her frustration, her her mistrust of things. And instead, yeah. she just seems kind of bullied and quiet. I
0: disagree. I mm-hmm. think by the time you get to the it, they've done a lot of showing. Yeah. I think in the beginning, like, when she's just on Earth and at school, I think you're completely in the right. Um but I think when she starts traveling, I think we see a lot more of those faults in her. Mm-hmm. I mean, we also are told them. Like, I will, I will say that this movie does do a lot of telling, but I think that it starts to show more as they're traveling. Like, you know, I her agree. fight with her, like, her fight with her mom, and like when they go to meet um the happy medium. And yeah, the there's fact, a lot like, of that she there. can't balance. Like, I feel like we're seeing a lot of her inner turmoil, and you know, she thinks it's stupid, and she thinks, you know, I just feel like the way she reacts to things shows that, like, she is a very skeptical person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she is... can be pretty cruel. And so I actually think they do show as the journey goes on. Not maybe as much as they could have, but... Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I think
1: more in the beginning in the would have helped define her character a yeah, little yeah. more.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, like, I,
2: I, I totally agree with you that like, they do show more as the journey goes on. But at the same time, it's kind of like... She seems to be reacting normally to this sort of extreme to these really strange over the top situations like it doesn't seem like it's, Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's pointing out her skepticism so much as just like this is what a normal person would react to. It's not saying like if I didn't get the impression that like she was overly skeptical or or um angry or anything like that it just felt like this is what a normal pe- person would react to the situation would be like Huh, right, like if I mean.
1: Reese Witherspoon and all in like bunch of regalia like dropped into your house and told you you're, you have to go on a mission with your baby brother, like that would be a little implausible. Like yeah. there's something weird going on. Like I like being mistrustful or skeptic of of the of what's happening to a, a normal person would be. It wouldn't be out of character for like a normal person to be like, I don't. I must be dreaming this yeah. is all happening. Yeah, but I happen- think
0: it also comes from a different place with Meg, and I think I, I, I'm I going to argue that Ava does show that, mm-hmm. because when she and Charles Wallace are walking their dog, and, like, there's a guy sitting in his front yard, and, like, Charles Wallace is high to him, and, like, Meg wasn't going to. Like, mm-hmm. Meg is generally really standoffish with people. Like, it's not just skepticism of, like, you're a stranger. Like, Meg puts people at arm's length, and mm-hmm. I think that we do see that in little ways, and so I think it's not just, like oh, you're a person in my house, like, I'm going to react like a normal person would and be skeptical. I think it's very much her being like, I don't trust anyone, and it's not from a, say, place of caution. It's from a place of, like, active distrust and cynicism that she's developed over these past four years. Mm -hmm. You know
1: what? At least I I picked
0: all this up. I didn't really get
2: that impression still. Like, I understood that's what they were trying to go for, but it just felt like she was just too to reacting things to like, like a normal person to me.
1: I was going to say, with the old man that, and, that her brother was talking to, I was maybe too enthralled by the dog on screen <laughs> to notice that she was being distrustful
0: of him. It was yeah, a good dog.
2: It was a good dog. I think it's just because Charles Wallace and Calvin too felt too extraordinary and accepting of these extraordinary circumstances. Like Charles Wallace is like a whole other person altogether. He's yeah, definitely tapped he into that. that. <laughs> but then Calvin too, he's like supposedly a normal person, but then he just kind of goes along, like, okay, this seems fine.
1: So it it's, yeah, like Calvin. I thought Calvin was going to be more of like the audience surrogate, yeah. be like, what's going on? Yeah, and then like, like Reese right. Witherspoon turns to him and be like, well, we just did the Tesseract.
0: Yeah. So. Um. I think that's a good discussion of Meg. I want to say, so is it now accepted fact that Chris Pine is the best Chris? Yes. Sad dad, Chris Pine. I mean, for me, this has been the accepted fact for years, but it's been a struggle getting everyone to get on board. Well, that's
1: because you have Chris Captain America Evans.
0: Who is great, but, like, did not get... A degree in literature from uc berkeley is not nearly as talented as chris pine i'm sorry i'm gonna say it i love chris evans i adore him he is not as talented as chris pine he's not i will
1: say his acting in hell or high water is phenomenal
0: yes chris Pine's acting in everything is phenomenal he's chris the most... pine has been the best since day one
2: he's the most versatile chris of all of them mm-hmm.
0: and he wears he's woke and he like is smart and he wears cardigans I am so into Chris Pine, you guys. Like, just watch the entire press tour for Wonder Woman, and everyone will get on board with Chris Pine. I'm already on, tra- on the train, Anya. You don't have to tell us. We know. Yeah. We just, just want to gush about him. And I think this helps because he's so great in this movie. Like, the scene where Meg and her, her dad reunite, the performances from Storm Reed and Chris Pine are phenomenal. So good. Oh, yeah. Like, that scene is breathtaking. Also, he's a scientist and I love science. And so hearing him talk science, like, did things to me. I really loved what Chris Pine did with, um, the
2: dad character. I can't remember his name. Whoops. Not <laughs> Um, but... Dad. I, Daddy, Daddy Murray. Daddy Alice. Murray.
1: No. Mr. Alice.
2: Murray. We'll call him Mr.
0: Murray for now. Um, Daddy Murray. But I like... No,
1: not, not Daddy Murray.
0: Daddy Murray. No. He's a hot dad in this film. <gasps> Alright, I'm gonna
2: call him... No. The the Mr. I'm gonna call him Mr. Murray. Call, I'm not gonna go. Call him Sad Sad Dad Chris. Sad Pine. Dad Chris Pine. Anyways, I really loved what we saw of him because even though he was only in parts of the film, he really stole the scenes with every every time he appeared on screen. And the he fact did. that it was such a complex, layered character in those short that short amount of time that we see him is so fascinating. Because to me, Mr. Mr. Murray, Sad Dad Chris Pine, is the embodiment of like the disappointment that Meg sees in, like, adults. You know, she worships him. He's a hero, and she still loves him unconditionally. But then she starts to see his flaws and how, you know, he is willing to, like, abandon Charles Wallace because Charles Wallace has been taken over by the It. And he says, I don't want to lose both of my children. And that is such a heartbreaking, great line to me because it makes so much sense coming from an adult standpoint. But from the child perspective, which Mm -hmm. A Wrinkle in Time is really about... It's abandonment, and it's that disappointment in adults and all of their flaws. And I really like that Meg comes to term with, terms with that, and Chris Pine plays it so beautifully,
0: so well, so like nuanced <sighs> and perfectly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Daddy Murray here. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> a, a couple things, a couple things. I appreciate. So I agree with you guys about the beginning with Meg, but I appreciate, I feel like Ava did actually a better job of showing and not telling the relationship between Daddy Murray and Gugu the raw Like, I liked those flashbacks to them, because I feel like it really showed, like, who they were as, like, scientists and, like, partners. Oh, yeah. okay. and, like, uh, and, like, when they were in the bedroom after the presentation, and she was, like, they weren't ready for that, and, like, they, like, had a bit of an argument. Like, I feel like that was a really good job of showing who they were. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated that. I'm also going to defend Daddy Murray. <laughs> we're gonna, um, this is going to
2: happen every time she says that. We're gonna every time. Laugh.
0: <laughs> I really liked that scene that you were talking about, H.T., because, like you said, I think it makes sense from an adult perspective and a child's perspective. Like, of course, Meg would be like, how can you even think about making a decision like that, of, like, just leaving Charles Wallace? Um, and I. But I think, you know, from his perspective, it also makes sense. It It is a bit of a Sophie's Choice. I think you also have to remember that he has been in the it for four years. Mm -hmm. And like, imagine how much that was four years. He doesn't think it is, but it has been. And like, so imagine how much that would mess him up. He's been like trapped in this little, literally embodiment of like evil and destruction and just like negative energy. And so like, I think for him, it's, I think it's also understandable his desperation to get home. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I would also feel that. And to like, if and I he doesn't have a one.
1: super he doesn't have a super constructive relationship with Charles Wallace in the first place because I feel like he was, he was like an infant
0: s- when mm-hmm. he was an infant
1: when he disappeared.
0: Yeah. And so like there's that and I don't think I think when Meg first tells him like Charles Wallace is here, he has that moment where he's like, My boy is here, like my baby boy is here. Like you can tell that he loves Charles Wallace. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. even though he doesn't really know him, he loves him. Like he would never make the choice to leave him if he thought there was another way. But he didn't see that other way the way Meg did, mm-hmm. and again, that's an adult and child. And so I really liked that because again, it shows that he's human, he's flawed, but it's understandable. Yeah. And it's Chris a, Pine, it's phenomenal. It's a very sympathetic performance,
2: and that's what I loved about it because it's it happens in like such a brief instance, but you in yeah. that instance you can see like everything that he's gone through, all this trauma, mm-hmm. and yeah. why he and how he cares so much. But he can only yeah he has that Sophie's Choice, and he he only can really in this instance he feels like he can only pick one child it's
0: heartbreaking also i want like just a romance film with him and guguma bathra because i want to see them explore that chemistry because i'm like i am here for this pairing i agree with you i really like those
2: flashbacks with that with them especially because i feel like guguma bathra was kind of underserved in this movie agreed i really like her i really liked her character and you kind of get the sense that she's a genius scientist as well but you don't get to see it as much, which I was really sad Agreed. about. Yeah, same. And but they
1: did make so a wonderful. point to point out that she was a scientist and yeah. that she's Dr. Murray as well.
2: Yes. Yeah, but like in the scenes where you, where she meets the Mrs. Whos and everything like that, other than like the, except for the flashback, you, she kind of just acts as like the bereaved mother. And while yeah. she does that phenomenally well, I just wish that we had a little bit more of her. Like if Agreed. we had more family scenes at the beginning, that's like, like, my biggest complaint, if we had more family scenes, we established Meg more, we get to see more of Mrs. Murray, that would have been, like... More of a foundation. Yeah, more foundation. That would have been, like, the best yeah. option for me.
0: Can we talk about the Cosmic People? Yes! The Whos, because the Misses. The Misses. They we,
2: were so
1: great. They were so good. We've gone this far without talking about Giant Space Oprah. <laughs> giant Space
2: Oprah. <laughs> I love the Misses so much. I thought everyone was fantastic. I thought, um, Oprah especially and uh reese witherspoon were so fantastic and reese man i didn't know you had that shade in you she did yeah i liked it
1: she was great and i think that kind of turned into a bit of a a structural problem i had with reese witherspoon talk she kept talking down about meg murray and it, it seems like we didn't see the faults or flaws that Reese Witherspoon was saying, was talking about. Yeah. And she's like, I don't think she's ready or I don't think she should have come, become along. And we didn't really see why that much until yeah. we started, until we got to the happy medium where I think r- everything started to really click. Um, like how she couldn't balance. I was like, okay, now I
0: get what Reese Witherspoon was saying. Yeah. Also, but her flirtation with the happy medium. I was like, I'm here for Reese Witherspoon and Zach Galifianakis flirting. I actually,
2: I actually really liked. I thought Zach Galifianakis showing up in he this movie would great. be very odd, but I, he was so he was so great. I he added him. like a little bit of levity, but he also was incredibly warm, especially mm-hmm. in his treatment of Meg. I really enjoyed his scenes. I Agreed. thought they'd be a little bit too ridiculous, but they were perfect especially for like mm-hmm. even the little yoga scenes in it i was like this is silly yeah. but it's so fun and i like it, it. yeah
1: zach Galifianakis always shows up and i'm like oh it's gonna be a little bit too broad and then he always doesn't he's yeah. always uh, and unless uh, he has to he's pretty actually pretty good at being yeah, like we
0: don't give him the credit he deserves sometimes mm-hmm.
1: he can he can be pretty uh restrained and i really liked how yeah like he had levity be also was pretty pretty serious he's pretty happy medium
0: he was <laughs> a medium. Yeah, he a medium. <laughs> Am I the only one? I really liked Ava's casting specifically for Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling. I think Oprah is perfect in that role because it Oprah it's and it's like Oprah God. Oprah is perfect in the role
2: because Oprah it makes so Oprah. much use of Oprah as Oprah. It's her image. Exactly. If Oprah was giant and told me to go on a quest, I would be like, yes, Oprah, of course.
0: But I, I appreciate that she put Mindy Kaling in the more subdued role of All the Misses. Like, I feel like you would would normally think Mindy Kaling would play the snarky one because of who she's played in the past, like, on The Office and the mini-project. Like, you just assume Mindy Kaling is going to be the snarky one. And I like that they switched that. And I like Mm -hmm. that Reese played that character, because I think she did a wonderful job. And I think it was just a way to... uh, subvert expectations and be like they can play different roles and mindy was great as mrs who and yeah. i loved when she quoted lin-manuel miranda that part
2: was like maybe go ah yeah everyone in the theater was like ah, that's yeah, like, yeah i was like,
1: like hey, uh, I, I was like i get it ah. <laughs> um and yeah i agree i think that you know like i feel like a more a different director might have chosen to have reese witherspoon be the subdued one because i feel like she could be good at that and then have mindy Kaling kind of play
2: the chatty as young type, one,
1: as as the chatty young one that we've seen her play, yeah, a ton of times before, and it was interest. It was good to see her kind of play like almost like a straight role that we haven't really seen her do before. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that like Mindy, she can at, on the mini project and other roles. She she has had a serious like serious moments, but I feel like for the most part she's always been like the comedy person. Mm-hmm. So it's good yeah. to see a different a, a different um, shade of Mindy Kaling's acting.
2: Yeah. No, I like that. Um, I was uncertain at first about making uh, Mrs. Who. Yes, she was Mrs. Who. Uh, yeah. Only quote talk in quotations because I don't. think I, that. Oh, was, was that not true. a yeah. thing? That wasn't the case. Was in, that the, not book. A thing in the book? No. No. But I did like it in this in this movie. At first, I was like, "Oh, that's interesting and kind of weird." But I liked it a lot because it had a whole range of quotations, not just from like Gandhi or Buddha, but also from like <laughs> uh, I think Buster Ryan's was it. It at one point, I and mean, the Gavlin, Manuel Miranda, of yeah, course, and uh,
1: um, uh, uh, Outcast. Outcast—that's
2: what it was. I'm sorry,
1: not bust the rhymes,
2: but yeah, um, that was a lot of fun. The misses were perfect. I think they were perfectly cast, and they were just so c- celestial and so surreal. And of course, their cops costumes were gorgeous. Um, I think they worked really well. Uh, I do wish I kind of liked. this is going to go back into the book again. I liked the intro of um Mrs. Who in the book more, where she was kind of like the crazy uh cat lady next door, yeah, and you're like, Oh, this little crazy cat lady next door is actually a celestial being, and I kind of miss having that introduction because it felt very sudden when mm-hmm. Mrs. West just like walks in, and like you have that sense too, but there's like more build up, I guess. I like that it happens too in the book on a dark, stormy night because that feels like a perfect setting so this is much sunnier, I guess, and that kind of was like the whole scope of the movie. It feels It feels very sunny and very bright and happy until it's not. Which,
0: yeah, works she really did well. that very mm. consciously, I think.
2: Yeah, I think so too. So, um, what are your thoughts
1: on Calvin?
2: <laughs> Calvin he wasn't <laughs> as bad as Charles Wallace, but He's I think sweet. he was sweet. He was
0: sweet, but I was, think he was a
2: little flat.
1: He could have been out of the book and out of the movie out of the movie entirely and I would not have noticed
0: because mm-hmm. well, at liked
1: some because at one point he disappears and it's only Meg in the it and I was like, wait a minute where did Calvin go did he go back with the sad dad and then I I was I was kind of wondering like the entire time like I didn't see him tesser away with Chris Pine and then he just shows up next to him back on earth and I was like oh okay. Yeah. So I think I think he like and then and then I had in my head like if he he was only there to hand out compliments and have a interesting arc about, you know, his father being emotionally abusive to him.
0: Whatever. I'm here for male characters putting like seeing the potential in women of color and being like you're amazing and everything that you do. So like yes. I, I don't care. I understand, no, was, I understand, understand good, the point I he think... was supposed to serve, but yeah. I
2: think he could have been, he could have benefited from first a better child actor. I'm sorry, but yep, he, no, he was not good. He was not good. He was, he was very flirtatious, which is kind of odd to me. Um, but, and also just from more buildup, because he does kind of, even in the book, he shows up just randomly. But here, he shows up and suddenly you're told, oh, he's a popular kid. He gets good
1: grades. Everyone it, loves him. They could have expanded that in the beginning. If this if this just had a, a longer beginning, I think the mm-hmm. movie would have fleshed out a lot of things. I
2: think so, too. But yeah, Calvin, I have nothing against Calvin. I understand the point he was supposed to serve in meg's arc in terms of like he's the one who points out how beautiful her hair her hair is and that's like Mm -hmm. the whole sort of manifestation of her own self-worth and how she is self-hating about her hair which is also extends an extension of her own um internalized racism racism and against herself and her insecurities about being a black biracial girl and like that i see what the point he's supposed to serve i just wish he had a better actor and that he was a Introduced a little bit earlier on,
1: so yeah.
2: yeah I think
1: if he just had if he had more to do, I feel like I would have liked him and yeah. a better actor and more to do at the beginning. Yes, I feel like I just felt like he was like it was really Meg and Charles Wallace's story. I feel yeah. like he didn't really have that much of an arc.
2: Well, it's the same in the book. It's the same in the book too, but yeah, Calvin. Well, they
1: could have expanded it. Yeah, the centaurs aren't in the movie. I know that there are centaurs in the book. Also, aren't there twins in the? In the...
2: Oh yeah, There's are supposed to be. Are the there two more?
1: Two more Mer- Murray, Murray yeah, kids. Yeah, they two more
2: Murray kids. They're the normals. I I was fine with them being cut out because. Same. It, they were
0: not necessary. Yeah, it makes or more they sense. They did go for on Charles the trip. Wallace.
2: Yeah, no, they were just there to be like, we're normal, and that's it. <laughs>
0: nice.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, so Calvin, I could have had a little bit more from him. Um, let's,
0: let's talk about. Yeah, let's talk about the plot. We've kind of touched on it a little bit. I will say. Like, there definitely should could have been more foundation. I appreciate, I think Ava made it as simple as she could, explaining just, like, the arc of the story and, like, the science behind it. Like, I feel like that was all very understandable. Like, dumbed down in a way that wasn't condescending, but was, like, everyone can get this. Like, the children who go see the movie and the adults. Like, I feel like the idea of, like, tessering and stuff was, like, I feel like she did a good job with all of those, like, technical story elements. Love is a frequency. Love is a frequency! It's so important, guys. I love that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I like the flashbacks. I like that we get to flesh out the relationship between Mr. and Mrs. Murray, and that we get to see more of Mr. Murray and uh, Meg at the beginning. Daddy Murray. Daddy, Daddy Murray. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've I made clear my problems with the first half of the movie, um, and I think that a lot of the plot could have benefited from a little bit more establishment at the beginning. Uh, And I think that like the, the sudden introduction of the misses is sort of a problem of the sticking to the book as well, where it's like very sudden you're like, whoa, what's going on? And that seems more magical in the book. Whereas here it just seems very confusing and surprising. So Mm -hmm. I, I wish, I think it could have been like tweaked a little bit um, to become more organic and more structurally sound. But yeah, the plot, it was simple enough, and um, the te- it wasn't too technical, which I liked. And yeah. uh, I do like that we have, like, little soforays into, like, other worlds, and it's very beautiful and stuff, and that the it is introduced very soon. So, um, I do want to talk about uh, ka- Kamataz. Yes. Camelot?
1: Yes. Casmataz.
2: Kamataz. Rasmataz? Yes.
1: Is it Kamataz?
2: It's Kamataz, right? Yeah. Kamata-
1: no. Kamataz. Kamataz. I thought it was Razzmatazz. Wait, no, I thought
0: it was Stop. Camelot. <laughs> it's,
1: um. Calamaz. I honestly don't know
0: what it is. Well, is it wait, no, I not remember a very specific way they pronounced it. I want... Wait, this is going to kill me until I find out. Camataz. Right. Cam. Camatsas? Cam. Cam-, uh, Cam-, Cam... Camazazaz. It's a That's silly place. Cam-azots. 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 I knew it was Z O T Z at the end. I knew yeah. it was Zots. Camazazazaz. Okay.
1: Camazazaz. It's like Camelot, but not. Um,
2: so Camazots. one of my favorite parts of the Rankle and Time book is our time on Kamazots and how we get to see this really interesting, really mundane almost world that is only a little bit off. You know, how we get the introduction really early on of this suburban neighborhood where everyone is bouncing the ball at the same time and this, the housewives come out and they all call at the same time. And that really... The, that scene in the movie really got to what really unnerved me in the book. I just I wish we had a little bit more of chemizots though, because mm-hmm. I liked how ingrained and in how long we spend in the book to it. So it's like it's just like a you know a very fifties uh, sort of style, conventional so world, and it's very it's very normal, but it's so unnerving, and that's why I liked it more in the book. I it just seemed very fast once we get to chemizots in the movie. I did like this, the beach scene, though, and how, like, it was it was well done. I just wish we spent more time on Camazots and that the realization that something is wrong with this place kind of slowly comes on a little bit longer instead of having, like... What's this like, movie's runtime? Two hours. Two hours, yeah. Maybe two hours? <sighs> yeah.
1: If it it's, was two and a half, I think oh, it, it it's
2: could have been a really minutes, strong movie. So it's an hour and a half. Oh, well, okay. it's
0: like an hour and
2: 50. An hour and... Hour and yeah. Yeah.
1: So, like, a little under two hours.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it did, it just, it moved very fast for me once we got to Kamazots, and um, I also missed the imagery of the It being a giant brain.
1: I <laughs> saw some of it, though, with yeah. the, like, the, like, the nerves and, like, the synapses. Yeah, like yeah. neurons. But it's yeah.
2: not quite as, as uh, obvious. And yeah. And it kind of, it, the, the. It kind of deals with like the sort of religious themes that we see in the book more, but it's really interesting to me how like we have this sort of uh, portrayal of a like dystopian society very similar to like 1984 for example, where it's like all under this groupthink and it's all very like samey and conventional, and we don't really get that uh, impression in the movie, you know? And mm-hmm. that's why yeah, I agree. That's why Meg's flaws, that whole plot point works so much better in the book than it does in the movie where you're just like introduced really the last minute to it. Cause here it's like, it's about, cause in, it's about individualism, right? It's about accepting yourself. And in the book, it's like, it's about the inv- individualism as well. And tr- sort of breaking out of convention, but, and here it's turned into more about stuff like self acceptance, but you don't really get that individualism part as much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that was a really fascinating theme that I missed seeing in the movie. And I thought that would have been really interesting and sort of pushed the boundaries of what this movie could have been more. But I can also understand why Ava DuVernay decided to keep it as being about just like her own self-acceptance and like this own Meg's journey of, you know, overcoming her insecurities. Yeah. But that's where it didn't really jibe for me. I guess this is more in the themes sort of area of the movie, but...
0: Yeah, do we have any more thoughts on plot or can we move to theme? Um, just that it, I feel like this movie would have done really
1: well as a two and a half hour movie. I know we're always about like, we got to bring movies down, but I feel like we flesh it out a little bit. Yeah. Might have been better. At
2: least a two hour movie, a little bit longer. Like,
1: like 10 more minutes?
2: Mm-hmm. So let's move into theme then. I touched on a little bit with my issues sort of, uh, of the translation from the book to the movie and wishing it had more to do about individuality and nonconformity and that kind of thing. Cause I feel like that also plays really well into accepting your insecurities and that journey of self-acceptance, but it didn't really touch on that.
0: But, all right.
2: Can I table, share I'm really
0: a on themes? I, yes. So all the flaws that Willoughby and HT have been pointing out are all valid. And here. Is why I don't care about those flaws. <laughs> this is exactly get why I don't on care. Here. So, I'm, we're gonna get deep and personal. We're just gonna we're just gonna dive in. I am someone who knows what it's like to struggle with yourself. I struggle with self esteem, with body image, with my sexuality, with depression and anxiety. Like I know what it's like to have a battle against yourself. And I know that very intimately. And I know a lot of people have that battle. Um, it's why as a country we should talk more about mental health. And that is why this movie means so much to me. Um, you'll also notice the difference between me and HT in that I am earnest and idealistic to a fault. There is probably not a cynical bone in my body. And so everything that Ava did in the film and all her themes and stuff, they like it was made for me. I just accepted it because I was like, this is me as a person. And so all of that spoke so deeply to me and so truly. And for me, Meg, her struggles, I saw them more in the movie than I think you guys did Mm -hmm. in a couple moments that like really stood out to me. Like there's the time when Calvin compliments her hair and she tells him not to, Mm -hmm. which I think is a very solid, like relatable response and there's also the part where they travel to go see the happy medium, and Meg is just with Mrs... what? Mrs. Witch? Mrs. Witch. Oprah. B- which what? Yes. Oprah? Ms- yeah. Mrs. Witch, Mrs. yeah. Witch. And it's just the two of them, and she says, you three are beautiful. And Mrs. Witch, very tellingly, says, thank you, you are too, because mm-hmm. she knows Meg doesn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And so she's telling her that. And... I know what that's like. So it was, a, I was, I got very moved by like, Oprah's telling me that she's telling every woman, every girl in this audience that, and then when she's listing her faults at the end with the it, and she says, she has that line of, I hate, I hate myself most days. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like that cut deep. Um, and so for me, it was just too emotional and too wrapped up in, my own feelings, that any, like, structural plot holes, blah, 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 those all kind of faded away from me in what this movie evoked from me. And I felt like I loved myself more after this film. I know I'm getting very sappy here, but I am literally sappy 24-7. This is just how I operate. None of it's hyperbole. It's just who I am as a person. And so this movie just means a lot to me because of all that so I'm really happy that Ava made this. And I think it also is a testament to her talent as a filmmaker and as a creator and as a storyteller that, like, it operates on different levels. Like, there is very much that level of, like, young black girls specifically mm-hmm. that it speaks to them. But I think the fact that she also made it a universal thing where women with body image issues or mental health or just identity issues, any way that, like, we're struggling as women... Any like we can also relate to this film and find that empathy, and I just really love it, guys. I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm so
2: happy that it spoke to you in that way, Anya. I, I feel bad because like the ways I the way I've been criticizing it, it makes it seem like I hated this movie. I did not, and I connected it for the same reasons that you did, just not on quite a personal level. Because I could see what it was doing, and I really admired it, and I wanted more. I wanted it to feel more, but I guess I think I was going for something more universal in a way, but I've come to the realization that it's such a personal story. It's about Meg. It's about Meg and Meg, you know, stands for everyone and that's how it's universal. But it's, and it was just so interesting to me because I really like that, that message and that theme of self-acceptance and how, you know, that recurring sort of, line about her hair I know a lot of people were put off by it but it made so much sense to me because you know that I agree it it talks taps so deeply into her own body image issues and her issues of being a biracial woman being a a biracial young girl I'm sorry and having that sort of being self-conscious about that and I really liked those messages and I really liked when they came forward in the last half hour of the movie so like the last half hour of the movie if I could just like distill it it was perfect. It was so perfect. But yeah, this I I just wish the rest of the movie lived up to that movie cuz if it did, it would have been
0: amazing. It would have been phenomenal. Yeah, I also think you're right in that it is very personal. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of the reviews I've been hearing or reading or listening to on podcasts, I feel like there is also part of like people just bring themselves to this movie like so much. And I really do think that it's people's reactions are a very personal thing even more i know it's always personal Mm -hmm. we're always biased and stuff and we always bring our own baggage and stories but i feel like this one specifically yeah is super personal
2: it is and i love that i love that this movie can evoke so many emotions between so many different people but have be so universal in that sense (sighs) so uh will be is there anything else you want to add about theme
1: um i think the themes are the best parts of the movie i just kind of wish the movie as a as a movie as a film as a a motion picture like like you said kind of like like lived up to that Mm -hmm. up to the themes actually Willoughby,
2: i'm really curious because this movie deals so with so much with the female identity and young teenage girls specifically did were you able to identify with that at all
1: not as a teenage girl but as a person with insecurities yes
0: yeah yeah meg can yeah she mm-hmm. can speak to everyone i think and you felt that as well will it be right
1: yeah like no like when i mean yeah i was a teenager once i knew what it was like to like kind of feel outside of the norm and everything um and all that jazz and whatnot and i to- i like i you know i totally agree that like that you know, this movie does speak for a lot of people, personal and not, and you know, like more general themed. And so, like, yes, I am, I am, the, uh, um, I am a straight white Christian male man who, you know, is kind of the, quote, you know, like the what everyone assumes is normal and the default, and, every, and which I shouldn't be, and I still, you know connected with this movie on a, on a thematic level. Like, I think that this movie, for all its worth, the themes are the strongest part of the movie. And the visuals. I feel like the visuals and the themes are what I really like the, about, the most about the movie. And I, and I like that they kind of work in tandem, because there's
0: lightness and then there's darkness.
1: And there's Reese Witherspoon as a kale salad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, get. I want this movie to get, like, Oscar nods for its visuals, because it's, I, it's stunning. I hope so. I hope so.
2: Yeah. All right. um, Do you guys have any final thoughts about A Wrinkle in Time? Daddy Um, Pine. Let's rate it. Okay. Anya, how many stars out of five would
0: you give A Wrinkle in Time? I have two ratings. I have five out of five for Daddy Pine. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Daddy Murray. (laughs) He is peak, peak hot dad. All right, Willoughby. I know you know what I mean. I know you know, Willoughby. (laughs)
1: don't know what's happening
0: what's your other rating I just really like like to make Willoughby uncomfortable sometimes (laughs) with this kind of stuff Um, alright I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a 4 out of 5 okay Willoughby what's your rating
1: I will give it a 3.5 out of 5
2: I'm gonna give it a 3 out of 5 stars I was fully expecting that. Yeah. All right. So that means the millennial Falcon gives a wrinkle in time.
0: Should be 3.5. Shouldn't
2: it be 3.5? (laughs) 3.5 out of five stars.
0: All right. But if we factor
1: in, if we factor in. Daddy um, Pine. What was it? Daddy pie. daddy,
0: daddy pie. It's a five out of
1: five. It's five out of five. That would, that would that's a curve. That <laughs> curves it.
0: <laughs> None of us were math majors. It's fine. <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, I think that wraps up our discussion, our review of Wrinkle in Time. Let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Anya, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really right. like in pop culture?
0: So, I had one really like, and then I watched Bill Hader host Saturday Night Live last night. And now I have a different really like.
1: Wait, what was your original really re- really like? Just say what it was.
0: I was going to talk about Love, Simon, which is a great film, and you all should go see it. It's very important. I have seen it, actually. I mean, you know my my impression of it, uh, yeah. Anya. It's similar I to it. Wrinkle in Time for me. Its flaws are outweighed by its importance. Yes. Um, but Saturday Night Live, let's chat about this. Um, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, but Saturday Night Live is a staple in my house. We watch it every week, regardless of reviews, regardless of the post. Like SNL is like an event for us. It is an important TV watching experience, and if not the same for you guys, right?
2: Not so much. I mean, I watch clips, and I watch I, if I catch it on TV, then I'll watch it. But I don't
0: watch it religiously.
1: I watch it once, uh, like a skit goes viral, then I see what's up.
0: Okay, so we watch it from start to beginning regardless, because I love SNL, and I fell in love with SNL really hard in college, um, is where my big love affair started with it, and so, like, I have this theory about people who love SNL, and that, like, a cast will sort of define the show for you, or, like, define your relationship to it, and so for me, mine is the tail end of Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, but really Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Fred Armisen, Jason Sudeikis, like, that's my cast, And I love them to death. And Bill Hader especially. He is my favorite SNL cast member. He always has been. And seeing him host last night, so happy, you guys. He's so funny. He's so talented. They did so many of my favorite skits. They did the Californians, which I love, especially as a Californian. Because, like, relatable. Also (laughs) so true. We talk about directions like that all the time. I was like, they talk about parking half the time. That is not an exaggeration, how much (laughs) we talk about parking and directions and driving. Um, And they brought Stefan back, which... Guys, Stefan! So basically
1: what you're saying is that this episode had everything.
0: It (laughs) had everything. (laughs) Stefan, Jurassic Park screen test, the Californians. Um, And John Mulaney was in it, and Stefan and Seth are still together. Jurassic Park screen test was like a highlight. Alex's Hugh Grant impersonation is so good. So I just really love SNL... I love Bill Hader. Like, I, I'm a huge fan. All right. That's me. <sighs> On the That's Bill my diet about SNL. <laughs> On the Bill Hader love train. And I've been there for years. Barry's going to be great. I'm excited for Barry. You've been, so, you've been the conductor, Anya, Anya. I have been the conductor.
1: Anya, what you've been saying is you're not a Bill Hader. You're a Bill lover. Ah, <sighs> uh-uh. ah.
0: All right, See, this, is why I, this is why I bother you with the daddy stuff cuz mm-hmm. you get me with like the puns and stuff. So, all right, Willoughby, That is yes. your cue to talk about your really
2: like for this week.
1: Um, I bought a Nintendo Switch and I've been playing Mario games for about 4 days. It it's been Another great.
0: Thing.
1: Um, the Switch is a lot smaller than I thought it would be. It's actually roughly the size of like a Galaxy Note tablet hmm. and yeah. it's like it's like Like, it's smaller than... It's like an iPad mini, like, the size of an iPad mini. Interesting. And the controllers are about half the size of a Wii Wii remote, and there's two of them that go, uh, you know, like, that plug into, like, a, like a, a controller base, and then you can play it as, like, a normal controller, or you can take them off, put them onto the sides of the Switch tablet, lift the Switch tablet out of the console, and then play it mobily without having to, like, turn it on or turn it off again. Like, it's really... Like intuitive, how you can basically turn this from a console game to a tablet game real quickly. And I've been playing Super Mario Odyssey mainly, which is their new flagship Mario game. And uh, it combines like all the best features of like what makes the platform games work really well, as well as what was so great about Nintendo sixty four, where you can kind of just run around and do whatever you want with Mario. But this game it l- truly turns into like an actual open world situation where you actually have like not, I wouldn't call them side quests, but you have to get like a certain amount of power moons to travel from world to world, which are basically like this game's version of the Mario stars that you get in N60, Super Mario sixty four. So you get you you have to get like a minimum level of power moons and then you can jump to the next world or you can stay and get more power moons and find them and you know certain levels have up to 50 power moons that you can find even though it only you only need like 10 to then to then move on to the next world and defeat the boss so there's a lot riding on like com- like if you're into like um doing side quests and like kind of just hanging around in the world level you can do that or you can continue on with like the game world like my girlfriend's been playing Final Fantasy 15 a lot and it's basically like the Nintendo version of that where you can basically continue doing side quests or you can do the main quest and defeat Bowser and uh, stop him from marrying Peach um, which is like the plot. (laughs) Um, The fun thing is also instead of a normal hat Mario has his new cap friend Cappy and there's a cap cap kingdom like a hat kingdom that you've, you've find oh. yourself in and there's these spirits that inhabit hats and one of these spirits, Cappy, inhabits Mario's hat and um, you can throw him and you can throw him in different ways and you can hit enemies with your hat um, you can actually, you can possess people with your hat, it's oh real God. weird, you can possess you <laughs> can possess a human man in New Donk City, which is basically their version of New York City yeah, there's a whole level where it's basically like metropolis coruscant like a city city kingdom and it's like it looks like new york city but it's like mario fied it's very interesting um but there's like real six foot tall people and then there's mario who's like four foot ten running around it's very interesting um and you can act, this is one of the first games where you can like actively customize how Mario looks. You can change hats, you can change uh, outfits. So like, you go to this, Each level has like a store where you can buy like the like the the main outfit for the level. So like, um, there's like a Lost Kingdom where you turn you have like an aviator outfit, like you're a downed World War Two pilot or uh, Amelia Earhart, or you can be like a scientist, or you can be like casual, or you can be regular Mario, or you know there's a there's like a day of the dead mexico level desert level where you like can wear like a poncho and a sombrero or you can wear like um a safari outfit when you go to like the like the woods it's 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 incredibly fun very customizable like they are really tapping into like next generation level graphics you know it's 1080p whereas nintendo's historically been like behind on all that stuff um it's a lot of fun, and I really love it. And we also—I also got Mario Kart. So my girlfriend and I have been playing Mario Kart all day. Yes, since. Um, it's the one with the Luigi stare. So it's really fun.
0: Oh, <laughs> and you can play different color Yoshi's in Mario Kart. Who's I was your go-to Mario Kart driver. Sorry, who's your go-to Mario Kart driver? Yoshi or Wario. Do you <laughs> have one HD? Oh,
2: Princess Peach, of course. Oh, the mine one girl. Indeed. Mine is Daisy. Oh, I like Toad, uh, too, actually. Toad was fun because it goes fun. really fast.
0: Yeah, Princess Toad's Daisy fun. is my
1: then, girl. I like Yoshi because I I think if I had the choice between riding a bike or riding a yeah. Yoshi, I'd ride a Yoshi in a heartbeat. Nice. So, Fair. Yeah, so Fair. I've been playing Nintendo Switch, and I can't... I'm, I'm going to wait to play the actual open-world game that Nintendo... Or the other open-world game that Nintendo did, which is Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, Ooh. which is that... Um, it's basically like, it's bigger than like the map is bigger than Skyrim essentially, oh um, like twice, two two to three times bigger than the Skyrim map, and people have been loving it. Um, and I'm playing the Mario one because I love Mario more than I love Legend of Zelda. Um, like I've always been more of a Mario guy than a Zelda person. Uh, so, but I'm I'm gonna play that one too, just because I've heard amazing things. But I'm gonna play Super Mario Odyssey first. So that's what I've been doing. That's All what right. I really like.
2: Cool. So, my really like for this week is the return of a certain Japanese reality show, Terrace oh House. Oh, my yeah. God, There's a new season, it's a new season. It's called Terrace House Opening New Doors. It's set back in Japan because the second season or the second season in Netflix took place in Hawaii. And that was okay. I stopped watching after a couple weeks because it felt too American in a way. Uh, But this one feels is so fun and so Japanese. It's set in a very woodsy rural area. So and it's like in the winter, so you get a lot of beautiful, the fall and winter. So you get a lot of beautiful shots of like the fall leaves and Japan and. The cold weather seasons, uh, snowboarding, and everything. And I absolutely love the new cast. There is one new member named Tsubasa who is uh, a snowboarder, and she's very earthy and tomboyish, and not mm-hmm. all conventionally attractive like by Japanese standards. But she's really cute. And of course, the 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 tall, beautiful half. Japanese model is the one who falls for her and it feels like they're in like a romance manga or anime or something because they're just like the most adorable couple. They haven't gotten together yet. They're like have gone on a couple dates where they've gone to like an onsen and uh played basketball against each other and it's the most adorable thing I've ever seen. I ship them Subasa and Shion. Um uh the new cast, this new cast is very uh feels like very much like a found family. I quite like them a lot. They uh just like an older it's a couple older members who feel much like the mom and dad, whereas there's like two Aww. team members who are like kind of bratty and spoiled. Um, and so like whenever they come together, it just kind of feels very like a family unit. Uh, the only problem is there's some drama with one of the younger members who's kind of Ooh. a deadbeat and is, kind of, is a little bit the worst. But in a sense, it's like drama in the Terrace House sense in which it's all passive aggressive. Nothing really happens. The worst that happens is like a fight over food or something like that. <gasps> and that's what I love about Terrace House it's so mundane and it feels so relaxing and and, and just like like I said before like ASMR but reality TV yeah. um, and as there's only eight episodes out I already breezed through all of them and I've been obsessively checking the Reddit threads I've never been on Reddit before but Terrace House is a thing that got me on Reddit and now
1: I've just been. Oh <gasps> those I've are been, deep waters.
0: Danger
2: territory. Danger, danger,
1: Will Robinson. Danger.
2: I've been like trying to find spoilers for new episodes because they're airing ahead in Japan by a couple of weeks. And I can't wait for the next few episodes to premiere on Netflix. I'm obsessed. I might just rewatch it because I love it so much. And um, <laughs> I really recommend Terrace House if you're looking for an anti-reality show. Something that has none of the antics of American reality TV. There are no talking heads. You just have a panel of celebrities and uh, t- t- talk show hosts commenting on everything that happens and analyzing every tiny little action. It's so fun, and it's hilarious. The season is actually is quite funny. Like The comedians Ooh. are just very on top of their game in terms of the jokes. So... I recommend it. Watch Terra's house, so I can fangirl about it with
0: you and talk about how Tsubasa and Gion are the best. Oh my gosh! (laughs) I love your love for this show. All right. Well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on A Wrinkle in Time, Terra's House, Nintendo Switch, or SNL, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby?
1: You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Uh, Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud or listen, rate, reviews, and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, And where can they find you guys on the internet?
2: You can find me at Bui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter.
1: And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
2: All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.